0: The way that things were recorded, let's say there's an iconic thing on a recording. I don't even think that exists because it's it's you're gonna show up and if there's a hey, this is where we're gonna solo, you're gonna get you're gonna get what you're gonna get. Okay. And so Leroy had a style and he played with so much space and so much soul. And there's record I got I just got shivers. There's moments where it was just magic. I just got shivers again. There's this, There's a song called "Proudest Monkey," and I. This, this is one, one particular recording. I think it might be from Wembley Stadium. Where, can't. It's. It, I think it's from two thousand six. Okay. There's just there's the horn throughout the song, and it's like this is who this man is. This is he's bearing his soul, and it was beautiful.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but we are getting off the Bruce train today, though I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. We are doing a B-side episode. I have my new friend, Luke, here that pulling back the curtain, I am part of a group where different podcasters put our fishing line out going, hey, do you need a guest or, oh, do you want to have a guest? Yeah. And Luke reached out to me and said, your podcast sounds fun, but Bruce isn't my guy. Someone else is. And I said, it doesn't matter. Come on in. So Luke, <laughs> welcome to Set Lusting, Bruce. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, tell us a little about yourself. Music specifically? Just your elevator pitch. A little bit about yourself.
0: Oh man, that's a big question. I just enjoy life so much and music's a big part of it. And I enjoy and specifically Dave Matthews' band and and Dave Matthews and the whole crew there. And for the last 20 years, their music has been, I guess, the the theme music to to my life in the backdrop. And so it's been a ride to say the least.
1: Yeah, so what we talk a lot about is Bruce has a lyric in his song, Land of Hope and Dreams, and the lyric is, you'll need a good companion on this part of the ride. And to, I think, a lot of people, Bruce's music, or in your case, Dave Matthews Band, or whoever it is, they're your companion. They are the soundtrack of our lives. Yeah. I also understand, and one of the things you do is, and I want to get into this a little bit, you've gone through a lot of changes in your life. You, I, I, uh, we all do.
0: I think. Yeah, you, you, yeah,
1: you've gone on a journey, haven't you?
0: Yes, I have.
1: Okay, uh, Yeah. So I want to hear all about that. I want to discuss that. As you, in your little bio, you said five years ago, there was hardly a moment I wasn't high, <laughs> and I I am a sucker for a redemption story. I believe one of my favorite movies was The Iron Giant. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an animated film.
0: People, it's beloved. Like, people love that movie.
1: Yeah. And there is a scene where the Iron Giant, the big monster robot that's a killing machine, says, "I we are who we choose to be. <laughs> and they try to tell him he is a gun. And instead, he wants to be Superman. And I love that phrase, we are who we choose to be.
0: It's a big statement.
1: That is a big statement. (laughs) All right. So we're going to start early. Tell me, where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to?
0: I grew up in, so I'm a Canadian. We grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan. It's a real place. We're not making it up. It's a prairie, prairie town, and it gets crazy hot and crazy cold. And uh, I spent, I've spent probably 33 years of my life going through the extremes of the weather. And uh, so I grew up with my family. And I music was a big part of our household for a while. And I'll explain what that means in a second. But, man, when I was a kid, it was my dad. He always had his stuff on. And it was the Beatles, the Eagles, and... <laughs> he had this album called tubular bells do you know what this is tubular bells this it was a bizarre thing the theme go-
1: to the exorcist was by- really? tubular bells i believe yes it was the theme to the movie exorcist no if i remember correctly yes i'm making
0: a note i gotta i gotta go research that okay um, i'm sure my dad didn't know that <laughs> which is hilarious uh, and and leonard cohen that was a big one and when canadian
1: was- guy right big canadian oh guy. yeah
0: yeah. My yeah. dad was into like lyrics and stories, Bob Dylan as well. But uh, my dad, when I was really young, lost his hearing. So we, he stopped, we stopped listening to music and all the while I was growing up listening to those things, my dad played guitar. And yes. I remember I had just uh, my childhood was filled with him playing guitar, playing classical, like literally classical songs, but also the classics and me just being enamored by the sound of the guitar and being just thinking i need to be able to make those sounds
1: (laughs) that's how i grew up and did you learn to play guitar i did oh very
0: nice it's a huge it's a huge part of my world these days
1: yeah so when you became reaching teenage years college did what kind of music did you move to
0: yeah, it's interesting because I really started to shape my musical identity probably in, I would say grade 10, because that's where that's when I, this fellow, James Kramer, we were in high school and he's like, hey, Luke, I think you'd like this band. We were noodling around on guitar a little bit and he said, like, I think you'd like these guys. So he introduced me when I was in grade 10, 2003 to the Dave Matthews Band. And it's funny because those were the days of Napster. I went home after James had introduced me to the Dave Matthews Band and I looked up I think I looked up Dave Matthews and of course downloaded a whole whack of Matt, Matthew Goodbad's songs. And I started listening to it. And I was like, this doesn't sound the same. I don't really think I do like this guy, which is a funny aside. Yeah. the Great tan started Dave Matthews and then a lot of classic rock. And I got into grunge in that time as well, but the more or less, Oh, I went through this acapella phase as well in, in, in during that time, because I was also drawn to just vocal arrangements of songs. And man, back in Napster days, you could find that stuff. Anyway, when I first heard Dave Matthews, that was it. And the window started to close on other music. <laughs>
1: yeah. I ask this question usually when I have a Bruce guest on. Yeah. And so I'll change it around. You've shared how you first heard him. Yeah. By the way napsters was streaming before there was streaming right because with napster you could you could hear almost anything you wanted and if you bought the right kind of mp3 player it let you download for free you didn't have to pay for things right oh yeah so can you articulate what about the dave matthews band spokes to you why did that reach your musical soul yeah
0: (laughs) It's one, of, it's one of those things that feels like it's beyond words.
1: I get Which, it. Yeah, it's not
0: like, a, and it's not a single thing. But if I was to start to try to pick it apart and and pull it apart and tease it out, it's a number of things. The first thing is, so I didn't know this until I really started to look at what he was doing on the guitar, but he plays a guitar weird. He makes extremely unconventional shapes with his hand, his strumming patterns, it, Everything is like quintessentially him and it's not mainstream and it's so out there, but all I knew at the time was the same as my dad were listening to the guitar. And I was like, I love the way the Oh, that listening to my dad, play a romance antique on the guitar. I was like, Oh, my ear just, it just tickles my ear. Like, but it's more than my ear. Like tickles my heart, my soul. Like you said, everything that I heard Dave do there was like, it was like that just tickle me in a way, just, that's just musically. And then you get all these weird instruments on there. And when I say weird, I just mean it's, they're not mainstream. Those recordings had violin, piano, saxophone. What are we doing here? It it was just all unconventional and so just unique. And then there's his lyrics, which uh, again are bizarre and quintessentially him. And you just start to put it all together. And it's for me,
1: this is a judgment-free zone i don't believe and i'm not the first person to say so i don't believe in guilty pleasures i believe pleasure is pleasure and if something makes you smile and you enjoy whether it's a tv show a film music books if it brings you joy it brings you joy i always like to preface this where i don't think the amount of times you've seen a band live is a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that have never seen their favorite band live because of economic situation, location, timeline. All right? If you were a if you were a college student in the early 70s and you lived in the East Coast, good chance you saw Bruce Springsteen a lot. <laughs> but if you're a guy growing up in Southwest Louisiana like me in the 70s, I didn't do, have you gotten to see the Dave Matthews band live? I have. And if so, do you count how many?
0: It's funny. I haven't added it up. I think it's about eight. Okay. I think it's about eight times. This is going to be a weird thing to say, but I'm a kind of a weirdo. I've probably seen it about 2,000 times in my dreams. I, nothing <laughs> wrong with that.
1: I get that. I get that. When was the first time?
0: 2008. Okay. 2008. I, so again, from the prairies, Canada... They're never. Nobody's coming. Right. We had the Rolling Stones come once and play our football stadium. That was a big deal. Sure. So Dave, they'll play like Toronto or Vancouver. They play Montreal. They play Montreal. Yeah, two thousand eight. It was like, hey, let's go do this. So I called up my my godfather, lives in Vancouver on the west coast, and I said, will you drive down with me to the Gorge? It's about four hours away from Vancouver, and it's it's one of the meccas for them to play. They'll play three nights. And uh, so 2008 I flew out, we drove down together and uh, we only stayed for one night, but uh, that was, that was the first show. That show was very unique. Their saxophonist, Leo Moore, he had just passed away. He had an ATV accident and he, he ended up passing away. I think it was about two weeks or 10 days before that show. And I was super sad for everyone involved with, with him. And I was worried that the, I was like, of course they're going to cancel the show. And they didn't. And so there was a really, it was a little bit melancholy. It was a bit of a vibe as I got started. I think there were some tears, but it was a beautiful show and a beautiful time. And it was a lot of fun.
1: Is there, and I'm going to show my ignorance of Word. Dave's music, but is there a song like Bruce Springsteen has Jungle Land, which has this iconic sax solo? And mm. the first time, They played it after Clarence's passing, there was a hush that, okay, and Clarence Clemens' nephew, Jake, has stepped up. Mm. It's a long, complicated story, but he now plays saxophone on the E Street Band, so he's carrying on his uncle's legacy. But that first time he played that iconic solo, there's a little bit of, (gasps) okay, he did it. Is there a couple of sax solos that are iconic? That that night was special.
0: It's interesting that you tell that story. Now, I think that they had brought in Jeff Coffin at that for that show. He's been playing, I, and I think that he was there for that show, so he played okay. saxophone. And I, he he played he's played with the band since. And I think they brought him in right like right then. They since brought in a trumpet player. So the band's a little bit different in that the way that things were recorded, let's say there's an iconic thing on a recording. I don't even think that exists because it's, it's, you're going to show up and if there's a, Hey, this is where we're going to solo. You're going to get, you're going to get what you're going to get. Okay. And so Leroy had a style and he played with so much space and so much soul. And there's record. I got, I just got shivers. There's moments where it was just magic. I just got shivers again. There's this, there's a song called Proudest Monkey. And I, this, this is one, one particular recording. I think it might be from Wembley Stadium. Where, I, can't, it's, it, I think it's from 2006.
1: Okay. There's
0: just, there's the horn throughout the song. And it's like, this is who this man is. This is, he's bearing his soul. And it was beautiful. Jeff Coffin's style is very different. I think he's a little bit more technical. He doesn't play with the same space. They're different, but they are who they are. And that's something cool that w- with this music is it's that's okay. Mm-hmm. We're not expecting Jeff to be Leroy. we we want hey, you just be you. And that's a space. It feels like that's the space that each musician's given. So I don't know if that answers your question.
1: It does. It does a lot. When yeah. talk to me about that first show, I remember I my first musical obsession, not counting people, I gra- I graduated high school in 1977, so I'm older than Dirk. I re- I remember oh, loving man. a lot of those 70s bands, and I remember the first time, well, I, I a lot of different music, but right after high school, I discovered Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys, and I just fell in love with them. And the first time I was able to see the Beach Boys perform live, it was just my expectations were up to here Uh-oh. and they met them all. Wow. You know, Because I just, I was just, I can't believe I'm here seeing this band. Talk yeah. to me about that first show. Talk about the anticipation. And then do you have highlights from the show or is it just one blur of, I can't believe I'm watching this? And how old were you?
0: Oh, 2000, you're going to
1: make me do math? Yeah, I know. There, oh, we were see. promised there'd be no math. <laughs> yeah. I've already given you an essay question that you're going, (laughs) Jesse, hang on. And now I'm trying to make you work math. Man, I think I was about 20. Okay. I think I was about 20. That's close enough. Yeah, okay. They played a
0: cover that night. They played Sledgehammer.
1: Oh, nice.
0: That was crazy. That was just fun. Yeah. There's just a sense of I'm here. And there was a Mm -hmm. sense of being part of a family.
1: Oh, nice. I'm sure
0: it's the same with uh, the Springsteen fans. It's like, you you get there and you're like, oh, we have this common bond. Like we all adore this group of people and this music. And there's just sharing in that experience because I'd only ever had that experience alone. Like it's just me enjoying this. Like my friends, I didn't have friends that loved him. Like I like love the music the way that I did. Sure. So to be around other people that were just, they were just so present with the music and that's what I remember is that experience of just of the verve and the vibe of the mutual love. Does that make sense?
1: It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I, I had a, I had the first person I ever heard say this is a Richard Hunter who does a wrestling podcast and he's a very vocal atheist. And he says the only church I attend, I, I'm a member of is the Springsteen congregation and the only thing he asks for me is every few years I go to his show I put my tithing in and celebrate with all these other members of the congregation and I get that I, I get that a lot because it is something that is pretty unique and yeah. done that yeah. any other stories from the other shows you've attended
0: my wife and I she, she's not a super fan. She tolerates it. So we so I, we were living in Vancouver at the time. I think this is probably 2011. So a few years gone by. And we got to go see Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. So Tim is the, the guitar player. Mm-hmm. And he usually plays an electric guitar, but they'll do acoustic sets, just the two of them. And we drove down to this little theater, Macaw Hall. We spent more money on those tickets than... We're like It was like, are we going to eat this month? So uh, my, my wife was very... And, and creating the space for us to go do that. And we didn't even sit together. That's, that was the situation that we were in. And uh, yeah, there, there, there were like two moments on that show that I just, was, I just wept. <laughs> it, it was just, they were just so beautiful and magical. And, uh, that, and then the last one, man, we uh, have a son now. He's three years old. And so we live in Vancouver and we drove down to the Gorge last year. And uh, we went and saw them as a family. And my uncle, the same one, came with his partner. And I got to, my son stayed up for probably half the show. And he was mostly on my wife, so a little bit on me. We just got to dance together and enjoy that. And then we got to see him again in Vancouver a few months later. And I was like, Rex, we're going to go see the Dave Matthews band. You like that? He's yeah. <laughs> so that's been a ride.
1: That's great. You know, what's going to be wonderful is... 23 24 years from now when someone is doing this kind of podcast talking to your son what kind of music does your family listen to my dad was all about the dave matthews band it was all about the dave matthews band yeah, totally. go, oh so when you were a teenager yeah i rebelled
2: <laughs>
1: i discovered the tragic hip i okay, uh, okay with that yeah by the way my I do a couple other podcasts but one of them is a we mostly discover we're going through every Babylon 5 episode in chronological order with two of my friends and one of them is Canadian. They've yeah. never seen the show. I've seen all of it so I'm the veteran. They're the newbies which is a flip because when we watched Farscape they were the veterans and I was the newbie yeah. but we were discussing and we do little one-off episodes where we'll just We'll pick a show and discuss, and I had asked them to watch Bruce Springsteen's Western Stars, which is a film he did a few years ago, and Lou said, if we're going to do music, I want to talk about The Tragically Hip, Mm. and I I knew nothing about them, and I've been doing a deep dive, and they got a little something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and there was and we're going to get back to Dave. There was such a sense of sadness when I was hearing about the lead singer passing. Yeah. And it, it just, it and you wonder, how does a band become this broad and this good and just the next country by? Hardly anything. It just, because you, you think of us- You mean
0: like how, like, because I'm a. Assu- do you mean like you didn't, like no one knows in the, like, the States? Yeah, you guys yeah don't know I had them.
1: never, I mean, I had never yeah. heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> and and when I started listening, damn, they're good. Yeah. So that's great.
2: Sure.
1: So let's, I'm going to get back to your music in a minute, but give me a little bit of your journey. You talked about that yeah. you and you mentioned about helping parents get unstuck, right? So share me a little bit about your journey.
0: Yeah. It comes from me being stuck my whole life, man. Okay. So being Anxious, depressed, just couldn't be with myself, living a really small, sad life, being very afraid and letting fear control me, dominate me, keep my world small. And it's funny because music was a huge part of that in catalyst. So I was 28 years old with who is now my wife. We're together, not happy together. We're both miserable, especially me. Broke, no prospects and sad, just not a happy person. And no one would have known it. (laughs) Because we yes. don't show that part of ourselves. The worst part, though, is I wanted nothing more than to play music on stage myself. Okay, That's a, a dream that i would had since I s- started seeing my dad play. And I was all the years writing and playing music and terrified to, to step on stage. I remember being in high school and seeing my peers play little shows and just thinking, what do they have that I don't have? What am I missing? And the belief that there was just something inherently wrong with me, I'm just a flawed individual. I'm never going to amount to anything or reach my goals. My goals aren't even worthy of me. This sort of narrative that again, kept me small. So 28, I said enough of this long story short. I signed up, signed up at a local open mic and played a couple of songs completely. Don't remember it, but I remember the feeling after, and I just felt, I conquered my fear. And I think so many of us let our fears drive our lives. And that was just the tip of the iceberg for me and things that I had to recognize about myself and let go. But ultimately, I, I didn't have goals. Or if I did, I, I self-sabotaged in every step of the way, always fighting myself and miserable the whole time. So getting on stage the first time was the first time that I really faced my fear. It's led to change of relationship with fear and that discomfort. So whenever I feel fear, or discomfort now, it's let's run towards it almost. So moving across the country recently, starting a business, having a kid, getting married, just all things that terrified me. The more that I move into those things and explore them, the more I find life on the other side and joy. And it's the musical, my musical journey, my personal one has mirrored my internal journey. And I have my own music that I've released and recorded and I've played on stage, not to the degree of course that, that our heroes have, but th- the idea is now to help people with navigate their inner world and let go of the things that they might be holding on to that's keeping them from living the life that they actually want to live, like deep down really want to live and to pursue the things that they feel they would that would matter to them. I had this moment. When my son was born and I remember walking up and down the hall with him, soothing him. He was crying one night and I was holding him just tender little potato, right? And I was looking at him and I said, Rex, you can do anything you want to do. You can do anything. And I recognized that I wanted him to believe that because deep down, man, I didn't believe that was something that I could do. And then I realized a couple of years later that it's one thing for me to tell him. You can do anything, but he needs to see that I believe that I can do anything. And that's the mentality in the world that I want to invite people into. As crazy as this is going to sound, my goal back when I was in high school and then 28 was to step on any stage, just play music anywhere in front of one person. My goal now is to share the stage with the Dave Matthews band. I want to play one song with them. I want to step into that possibility and believe that, yeah, you can do anything. So that's just a little snippet of my journey and my story.
1: Bruce has a song called Wrecking Ball that originally he wrote when Giant Stadium, Meadowlands, was being torn apart. And it's turned on to be more about, I think, meeting life and things and there's a line where it says hold on to your hold tight to your anger but don't fall to your fears and i think and i don't mean the anger at least i don't believe he is saying this unproductive anger but that 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 drive to to accomplish a goal that and but don't fall to your fears the idea we talked a little bit before we hit record that when my friend Jay Armstrong talks about Thunder Road, he said that you, you're you afraid to make a choice, but not making a choice is a choice. It's by the fear. Yeah, the fear. The fear. And the I remember uh, one, I think it was Tony Robbins, who says, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And it is... One of the things that my wife and I decided very early in our marriage is that we would, we made a vow to each other. We would not say, I told you so that let's do something simple. You're going to buy a new car and then you buy the new car in a couple of months, three months into it, the car is either not working well or you're having money's a little tight. And so you're having trouble making your car note and i knew we shouldn't have bought the car and you're like no the time to have said that is before we went to the dealership inside the paperwork so we made that deal with each other that if we were having doubts we would say it out loud discuss it and then later if the decision turned out to be one that wasn't good We both would say, at the time, it was the best decision we knew. Now that we have more information, probably could have seen we probably should have turned right instead of left. But that's been a healthy choice for us as a marriage because of that fear of discussing it and saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're going to try. And I love your idea of not letting fear dictate your life and it also means you you have to be practical and you have to think of the different consequences but it that's a wonderful story and I think that's a great story how do you specifically address this as parents because you one of the things you talked about in your website is helping parents to get unstuck talk to me a little bit more about that
0: I like working with parents because the parents have children Yeah. And so the things that we feel stuck with and stuck is just it's just a symptom of not moving forward in our lives. And so we actually have to start to look at the reasons that we feel that we're not moving forward in our lives. So stuck is a symptom. So we the things that we feel are keeping us stuck, we will pass that on whether we want to or not. I've already given an example around belief. If I don't believe in myself, my son won't learn what I tell him. He will learn by my example. That's how we learn. That's why parents, but if there's anything that anybody could take away, it's that it's not that you need anything. Like I use this analogy, you're, you and I are these beautiful boats. We are perfectly crafted for our unique destination. Not the destination you're told you should go as a kid or, or a teenager, not the cultural or the societal or the one the parents told you. No. You have a unique destination, which means that you have a unique journey, and you're a unique person, individual, a unique boat in the analogy. Most of us spend our whole lives trying to, first of all, we're stuck at harbor. Most of us don't go anywhere, <laughs> whether it's fear and it manifesting in all of its ways, over, overthinking, doubting, overwhelm, anxieties. There's thought patterns, and then there's physical, emotional patterns as well. So most of us spend our whole lives trying to upgrade our boats or we give up. And so we go out and we say, we, our sails aren't good enough, we need a new captain. Our captain's not getting it, we should fire that guy. And we spend our whole lives doing this. We spend crazy amounts of money, energy, and time trying to improve a boat that never needed improving in the first place. What needed to happen was somebody needed to look off the back of the boat and say, oh, we didn't pull up the anchors. <laughs> And our anchors are unique to us. And so the idea is, no, we need to learn how to see our anchors. And look, some of them are limiting beliefs, but some of them are these patterns that we pick up in childhood that we think that we are. And th- there's little hints like, oh, that would never work for me. Anxiety is a hint. Sadness, I think in some cases, depression is a hint. Patterns of thought, overthinking, perfectionism. These are all just little hints, but these hints have roots. And so we not need to learn how to look off the back of our boat, and see our anchors. And now there's nothing to fix. All we need to do is let them go. What happens if we let it go? The wind takes our sails. And now we're just moving. We're going where we want to go. So that's how.
1: My parents grew up in a family that they said, do as I say, not as I do, with no hypocrisy no sarcasm no they did not understand the irony of that statement yeah. the idea of do as i say not as i do was just hey kid leave me alone yeah. and that was one thing that i as an as a parent decided very quickly i didn't want to do that to my child i when i make a mistake i tell my son i was wrong there I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry that I lost my temper and yelled at you. I I and I love your thing about not being afraid and setting that example. They say that watching your a husband and a wife's relationship together influences a son and a daughter with their relationship because they see the way their parents were and they subconsciously and even consciously at times pick that up yeah um
0: there's another layer to that
1: and it's sure the relationship,
0: it's the relationship that we carry with ourselves
1: yeah and I do I think that's well said because we do well, we'll I sometimes worry about that right like how are we going to do this way and have, that relationship one of my favorite springsteen songs is better days which is he talks about to me is i'm i'm waiting for my life to begin while it's all just slipping away and i to me that song is about not waiting that too many times if, when I get the kids out of diapers, then I'm going to enjoy being a parent. If, when if I get this,
0: then that statement.
1: Yes, exactly. Versus okay. no, you just, it is what it is. And you have to, I, you have to enjoy whatever phase of life you're in right now and embrace that and enjoy that because you will want that again later. You'll go, Oh, I miss this. Yeah. If, Let's go back to music for a little bit. Yeah, man. Are there songs you're chasing? The next time you get to see the band, is there a song you haven't got to hear perform live that would you'd love to hear?
0: Um, if I'm with my wife, there's a song called Bartender that I'd love for her to okay. to, listen, to hear together. Yeah. Um, honestly, though, anything that I haven't heard before. Yeah. And anything new. And they're okay. just actually they're just releasing an album here right away. So there there are putting some new stuff out there into the world okay but other than that no i'm just so grateful to be hearing whatever's coming up i'm like
1: oh yeah let's go (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome that's great any final thoughts before i let you go no this
0: has been a lot of fun i love talking about music and uh, you're obviously such a big fan for music yeah springsteen and them and i think we maybe It's not the same person that we can, we we share that passion.
1: Yeah, it is. We were talking, as I said, right at the beginning, that I reach out to other podcasters Mm. and sometimes they're Bruce fans. Sometimes they're a casual fan or some of them that I don't even like Bruce Springsteen's music. That's cool. As long as you, as long as you're a passion about something, we can have a good conversation. (laughs) That's uh, good. And the people that I don't really have a favorite musician, I don't have a, I'm just really not into music. Okay. Probably a bad fit for this podcast, but yeah, but that's okay. But that's all right. No, no judgment here. Of course. So for those of you listening, Luke has asked for a, an incomplete on the Mary question. He says that he is, he is, I am asking, I'm going to give him the assignment, to go listen to the song a couple of times, read the lyrics. And if he decides he has a answer he wants to give for the Mary question, I'm going to have him come back on and we'll record that answer and I'll put it at the mm. end of this. The It is great to visit with you and spend you time. Too, if someone wants to reach you and wants more information about getting unstuck, how what's the best way?
0: Yeah, another way to think about it is, do you have a goal? It could be anything. Yeah. Any goal that you've tried and gotten in your own way with, or do you just feel like this sense of lack, just not quite fulfilled in either of those cases, it's probably a great fit, but we'd want to have a conversation to make sure, honestly, being my friend on Facebook is fantastic. You can look on my website and learn a little bit more about me in general and what I'm doing. Either of those
1: ways are fantastic. Okay, good. I will include the link in the show notes. i Yeah, Luke, this is a blast. Thank you, my <laughs> friend. I appreciate it. I hope to have you back on again.
2: we will we'll talk about
1: it. it. Yeah, that Absolutely. sounds great. All right, listeners, uh, go check out the website. Don't fall to your fears. No. And uh, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only Set listening Bruce. The theme for Set and Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.